Welcome to episode number 225 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, welcome to the show. This podcast is for you. My name is Ryan, and with me today are Jill and Michael. And on this week's episode of DL, we have a special guest joining us. Matt, the host of DLN's Games Fear podcast, is here to talk to us about PlayStation's recent announcement with Discord and what that might mean for Linux gamers. Then we're going to take a field trip. I'm so excited about this. I gave Jill a special mission for Jill's museum for another rendition of your favorite segment. But this time it has to have a tinge of gaming theme to it. So we'll see what Jill picked. I have no idea. I'm very excited. We're also going to be covering a cloud-based desktop solution. That's right, cloud desktop. And we'll let you know what seemingly contradictory sentence means later in the show. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All of this coming up right now on Destination Linux. Before we get into the community feedback, I wanted to cover why it's important that we have an episode. You're going to see a lot of gaming theme in here. And I know not everybody in a Linux world is a gamer. And while not everyone is a gamer, the adoption of Linux hinges heavily for a lot of people on being able to game. And to put this in perspective, I talked about this in other episodes, but the gaming industry is reported to be valued at $300 billion, which is more than movies and the music industry combined. And another report from Accenture, a global tech professional service company, reported that the super platform industry added gaming industry, that is, they call it a super platform industry, added 500 million new gamers over the past three years, totaling 2.7 billion people. So even if gaming isn't the most exciting topic for you personally, stick with us because you might change your mind by the end of this episode, but you'll certainly understand why it's important that we cover this and the important events and things going on with gaming in Linux. Because at this current point, there are two operating systems that are really the gaming platform kings when it comes to a PC, and that is Linux or Windows. Mac's not in the equation. They are terrible for gaming. You can barely play anything. I have videos all out there with the new Macs, and it's very limited. So you've got Windows and you've got Linux. And so bringing Linux up in the gaming world is going to be a big deal. And a lot of people on forums and posts talk about the fact that I would switch if I could play that game on Linux, because that's the big thing holding them back. So I think that's really exciting. But before we get on with the community feedback, there's one other thing we need to cover, and that is a huge happy Aww. birthday to our very own Jill. Oh, I, I didn't even know you put that in the notes. Of course, I'm going to put that in the notes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. Happy birthday, Jill. So everyone wish Jill a very happy birthday. And Jill, mm-hmm. I, I did want to bring something in because we talked before the show that you've got a special present for your birthday, which is yes. going to be going to Disneyland. But this actually has yes. a little bit of Linux story to it. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. Well, the new uh, Galaxy's Edge uh, land that they built, all the effects for all the rides were done in Linux. Nice. How (laughs) awesome is that? This is supposed to be one of the most advanced (laughs) rides, sophisticated rides ever developed. It kind of uses the dark. It's a dark ride. So kind of that dark environment. Plus, you have some virtual reality type elements or maybe augmented reality type elements in it. Correct. It's called Rise of the Resistance, and it actually has the uh, largest theater 
of any dark ride in the world. That's so cool. <laughs> you got big at-ats coming at you and it's it's got so it's like Ryan was saying it's not just a dark ride, you know, they've combined elements of projection and uh, uh, flying, uh, dropping out of your seat. So it's a combination of many different rides. And actually, it's an experience, not just a ride. Nice. And it was all created with Linux, with Maya, with Blender, and all the tools that Disney and Pixar use. That is, that is very <laughs> cool. Very cool. Actually, also, I thought this was kind of funny. Uh, we didn't know that this was planned when we, when we asked you to do this. But essentially... Uh, you're giving us a present and the community a present by doing a Jill's treasure hunt on the show. Yeah. <laughs> so you for know, your birthday, for your I mean, birthday, Aww. which is awesome. Yeah, you're giving us a present instead of it's vice awesome. versa. Yeah. You give the whole community a present. Jill, happy birthday! Kind of awesome. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> so in our community feedback this week, Tom from Switzerland says, "Hey, DL crew, I have a couple. I have a comment and a question. So my comment is." As a person who's not using Linux yet, your show offers me a great window into the Linux world and allows me to get a sense of what's possible, how things work, and get a feel for the OS. Kudos from Switzerland. Uh, the, also, the question is, Linux is all about community. How can a user concerned about a privacy issue make a real impact on the development team to improve the privacy of the product if they can't contribute by you know, doing code and that sort of thing? Contrary to features, privacy improvements affects all software users. And also, as a, a secondary question, uh, will the same thing that happened with Mac also happen with Linux with more users, higher popularity, and all that thing become a cost of privacy? So Darn good questions. Yeah, those are some really interesting questions. Uh, Jill, what do you think about the first question related to the improvements of privacy? How can someone contribute to privacy without being like a developer and that sort of thing? Oh, I think um, in in testing the distro and doing documentations, doing doc good documentation to you know highlight some of the features that are better at privacy than others is one of the ways you can definitely contribute. Oh yeah, that's that's very uh, very yeah. good. The testing is a I think a very imp interesting aspect to it, especially with the the fact that in a way that the the answers to this question whether it has privacy or not is similar to not just being a developer. Because there's a lot of things you can do regardless, and I do think that the testing aspect of it can have a privacy focus. But like test finding a maybe there's a group that has already like a list of things you can do for testing privacy, like maybe data leakage and that sort of stuff, to be able to see like a specific testing uh, grounds for a privacy focused test. That would be cool if that if that exists, and if not, maybe someone in the community would want to. You know, come up with a checklist of things they, to look for. Uh, that'd be very cool. Uh, but Ryan, what do you think about this one? Well, you know, I was thinking about my video that I did recently on privacy. It was kind of uh, setting a foundation for privacy. A lot of fantastic feedback came from it. But what I talk about in that video is that a lot of those things I was bouncing off an infosec engineer. So I was bouncing those ideas off to kind of find the right balance between privacy and usability for some of the suggestions and things. And that video couldn't have happened without them. So I think kind of being an advisor to the different distributions or software or, um, you know, just getting in there and being a part of the communities, whether they're utilizing Matrix or Discord or wherever they're talking about the software, you're interested in contributing to kind of being that advisor to them on the privacy aspects was super important to me and I'm sure would be important to those who are creating the software as well. Oh yeah, that's a fantastic point. And mm -hmm. also that if, if you haven't watched that video of people, that, that is a fantastic video. It's a, it's like a masterclass for privacy and security online. There's a lot of information in there. Like I knew 
a lot of it. And then I was like, okay, let's see if Ryan has somehow figured out a way. And then he says, oh, we, I got a cybersecurity person that, you know, gave some advice and, and input. And like, oh, okay, then definitely I'm not going to know a lot of this stuff. Then, <laughs> And it turns out I did not. Uh, there was a yeah. there was quite a bit, so that was very very helpful. Uh, and awesome. the the second the second thing uh, question in this in this community feedback is about the relation to Mac and how Mac uh, you know they they worry about. I'll just read the question really. Uh, will the same thing ha that happened to Mac also happen to Linux? More users, higher popularity at the cost of privacy. What do you think, Ryan? You know, this is some in some ways I feel like from a software standpoint we're seeing this happen already. Right when we talk about Discord. Even Steam to some extent, although I love these products and, and will utilize them uh, regularly, there, there are metadata features and anti-privacy things kind of turned on by default. There are problems with a lot of the software that's proprietary that we're bringing on to the Linux platform. So in some ways, it's kind of a double-edged sword. It brings more people on because they're like, oh, Discord, shiny. Um, or whatever the different platform is. But at the same time, those platforms, they don't have the same focus as your traditional open source software open uh, has as far as privacy goes. So in some ways, I feel like this has kind of already taken place to a degree. Hmm. And I don't know how you stop it or, you know, um, without ruining part of the community that we, we've been able to gain from these different applications. Well, that's an interesting point. And I would say that the platform is a little bit changed by that case, but I would say that that's more on an app side specific to like using those apps, not necessarily the platform itself. So uh, I'm not sure what they intended by this question, but my interpretation is uh, related to like how Mac is, while it is better privacy than Windows, it's not good privacy. You know, they're still doing stuff that's that's sketchy, uh, right. and that's putting it nicely. Whereas Linux is, you know, if you want to have the most secure and privacy-oriented operating system you can, that is the Linux platform. And I, I think that, that in that perspective, that there's no way to Linux could ever be affected in whether regardless of how many users there are, how popular it is, and that sort of stuff. I don't think the privacy and the security aspects of the, the ecosystem or the platform could be altered or mutated or whatever to create any kind of negative situation. Well, distro could do that, couldn't they? They could turn off, they could start tracking yeah. everything everybody's doing and become basically mm. Windows for Linux. I mean, yeah, an individual distro, I suppose, if you want to put it in that way, uh, a distro could do it, but it wouldn't be affecting the entire ecosystem because there are so many yeah, different distributions. Yeah, and also not the kernel either. Good it's point. a good point, yeah. So, uh, because it, you would have to convince Greg KH, Linus Torvalds, and the other people who are involved in the, developing the kernel to somehow change their entire f philosophy and personalities and whatnot in order to ha make that happen. So, I think that ultimately, there's if we're talking about the platform itself or the ecosystem itself, that it's not even possible for this to ever be a problem as a whole. But, it, Ryan, you're right, as a distro concept... A distro could become super popular and then start implementing negative aspects and whatnot. Uh, but I, I also would say this is, might be a, a controversial statement. I don't really think that telemetry in itself is necessarily bad. Like you can do it properly, you can do it ethically, and it. Does be anybody have any tomatoes to throw at Michael? <laughs> I'm, I'm all I'm saying is that you can get by collecting data that is anonymous that is not mm -hmm. remotely connected to an individual 
and still like knowing how many downloads and that kind of thing. Like, for example, we don't know how many people are using any individual distro. It's kind of impossible to tell yeah. because you can download uh, an app, you can download the ISO from uh, places that are not necessarily you know, the main server, so they can't track the download. And it comes from like a torrent server or something like that where it might not be tracking it. And all these different things makes the information when people ask, like, how many people are using Linux? We have no ability to actually give an answer. I, I actually agree with you. I think the problem is the bridges have been burned. And now you'll see with not only privacy, but pretty much anywhere where it's like, well, yeah, it by itself isn't bad. But we know once we give in and say, okay, you can do that, that they're going to go full ham, which is what's happened with Windows, is what happened with so many products, and start taking more stuff. Well, because now it would be interesting to know what you type in Word and what different icons you click and how you navigate through the <laughs> menu. That would be interesting too, Michael. And they just keep going and going and going and going and they never stop. And because of that, because of the abuse, people are at the point with especially something Linux where we have to protect it so hardcore that, yeah, it would be nice, but we don't trust anybody to implement it correctly. Um. Okay, that's fair. There, it has been burned quite a bit, and for a long time. I, I, I guess what I'm saying is that there are certain cases where I think that people overreact to the, just the concept, the idea of telemetry. That doesn't necessarily mean it is bad. It can be used very well, and especially like there are some cases where there's some software in Linux, and there's some distros in Linux that have telemetry that do it in the, in the right way, where they don't collect any right. specific information. They don't allow, they don't do like location data tracking or any mm -hmm. of that stuff. I think that there's a lot of potential there. And that's really what I'm saying. But uh, thank you so much for the uh, community feedback and sending the email in, uh, Tom. You represented is, Switzerland well, yeah. Tom. Those were some good questions. Fantastic. There. Yeah, really yeah. good questions. <laughs> and we love hearing from our worldwide community. What we want you to do is get your official DLN mug. You can't work with any other mug. It just plain won't work. Yes, Fill it with absolutely. some coffee or some bubbly, the <laughs> official drinks of Destination Linux. Sit in your nearest stool, the official sitting, not sitting, uh, sitting device on Destination sitting Linux. Device, yeah. And send us an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. We want more awesome questions and comments like this coming in. Also, you can join in the community discussions on the DLN forums by going to dlnforum.com. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean and their app platform. DigitalOcean's app platform is a solution to build modern cloud-native apps. With DigitalOcean's app platform, it has support for multiple different programming languages, like you have Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, and it also has support for static sites, Docker, and container images. And you get to have zero infrastructure management and high scalability. What does that actually mean? Well, you simply point your GitHub or your GitLab repository and let the app platform do all of the heavy lifting for you, like handling the infrastructure, such as app runtimes and dependencies. So you can push your code to production in just a few clicks. And it also helps automatically secure your apps by creating, managing, and renewing SSL certificates and also protecting your apps against DDoS attacks. And with the app platform, you can run with little to no customization needed for your code because the app platform uses open cloud native standards and automatically analyzes your code, creates containers, and runs them on Kubernetes clusters. Uh, as a listener of the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Well, no, better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's app platform. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux.
All right. So next up in the show is everyone's favorite segment. We need some fantastic theme music here. Drum rolls, Michael. Can you do that in post? Can you- um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll come up with something. Maybe like it's the treasure hunt. So maybe I have like some tr- like gold. Se- like, maybe you, you could know, sing the intro maybe. song to it from now on and all of that. You could do Jill's a little bit treasure of- hunt. There you go. So Jill, I asked you to find us something in your museum that has a gaming related theme to it. What yeah. did you find? in your museum for us today. Okay. So today I brought my Ouya. <laughs> nice. That one's easy to hold up, isn't it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. Much better than the mainframe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. And I was going to, I have, you know, lots of uh, gaming uh, uh, devices that I can use for treasure hunt, but this one is definitely easier, the easiest to hold. To hold. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what is an Ouya for people who are listening to the podcast? Maybe you haven't seen one before. It's a tiny silver cube shaped device that's yes. about the size of a coffee cup. Exactly. So this is, uh, the Ouya is a hackable Android based micro indie game console. They, they advertised it as a micro game console, uh, obviously look at the size right. <laughs> and, and for performance wise, that, that is also, and this is the game, the micro game console that we all wished would have been more commercially successful, but wasn't, but with a little love and perseverance, you can turn this little rounded cube gem into a modern indie gaming and Linux system. <laughs> <laughs> really you can install linux on that thing yes you can wow and it's, it's getting easier it's getting easier and easier to do that. that so the ouya was actually advertised as a new kind of video game console that that that's what the ads were and if you'd go to your local stores even you know best buy had these <laughs> i remember seeing them and they were so tempting for me to purchase but i don't remember what the time period was there was a lot of stuff going on with the console wars and i thought i'm going to wait to see if this thing ever takes off but i remember seeing the box in targets and best buys yes. and everywhere else and even some advertising for it and a couple youtube videos out there of people and they're it was kind of on that. It never. It seemed like when the YouTube reviewers were doing, it was always on that verge of this could mm. be really cool, but not yet type of thing. Yeah, it is. It is cool. <laughs> okay, so, they were wrong. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, they were wrong. Okay. So it was uh, created by Ouya Inc. and founded in in 20, uh, 2012. So development was funded via Kickstarter, where it raised eight point five million dollars, and it was it was one of the website's highest earning projects in history. So that, you know, it was, everyone wanted this little indie game console. And um, units started to ship to Kickstarter backers in March of 2013 and was released to the general public on June 25th, 2013 for only $99. And I thought that was a very good price point (laughs) for this little indie game. And that came with the, console there and yes. a controller and the controller <laughs> a good looking controller it looks like the a little bit cross between the xbox controller and the switch pro controller yeah exactly it, it was exactly based off an of xbox controller and yeah looks like a switch too yeah. actually you're right ryan <laughs> on that. that's pretty that's pretty that's pretty cool and, and it's very interesting it was it was so cheap because it's not it's not a lot of moolah for you yeah yeah <laughs> Not oh, a lot of moolah. Come on, Michael. <laughs> that was good, Michael. Bad jokes, really. <laughs> so I, I apologize, <laughs> and also you're welcome. 
<laughs> Very good. I like that. So it ran a modified version of Android 4.1 Jelly Bean with rooting being officially encouraged. Um, That's the, pretty wild. I did not know they encouraged the rooting thing. Yes. And it also brings me back, Jill, in your museum <laughs> hunt that we used to be excited for new Android releases when they had candy names like Jelly Bean and stuff. Yeah. There was actually excitement for what was happening in the Android operating system. Yes. Like today where nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and the other cool thing is it had a custom game menuing system called the Ouya Discover Store. And it was actually very unique in that you could try the games before you bought them. So the Ouya company actually required on initial uh, release that there was some kind of free-to-play aspect, whether it be game demos, they be freeware, or had purchasable upgrades, levels, or other in-game items. So that that made this game council very unique because the, you know, hacking and uh, giving the software to the people was uh, definitely very important to them. <laughs> Why do you think this device failed from a popularity standpoint back then? Oh, boy. So uh, there's, there's just, uh, there, there were a lot of reasons. A lot of people felt that the software wasn't baked. It had lots of annoying little paper cuts and bugs, and the menu was disorganized, and it felt like it really felt a little bit like early access. It didn't bother me because I was already into right. hacking and and everything, but uh the general public that was hard for them to um access, you know go through the sense. menus. Yeah. And actually the game controller was actually very weak. It had issues with buttons getting stuck, the touchpad was, you know, too sensitive and it would interfere with your gameplay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. so that top portion in between the two sticks is touchpad. Yeah, okay. is that the that's the touchpad? And most of us, you know, got other controllers, which I did for it right. as well. Yeah, and you know, the response of the controller was also very slow. It was Bluetooth, but the the this particular controller was very slow to respond. So, you know, when you're trying to play a first person shooter, <laughs> it was a little difficult because yeah. you didn't have that that snap. But another reason was at launch, there weren't a lot of the game, a uh, lot of games available. Um, I actually personally love the selection of games because I love the indie games, but the general public wasn't wanted more popular games, of course. Right. Call of Duty. Where's my Call <laughs> yeah. of Duty and Fortnite? Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. And ultimately, you know, Ouya sales were not good, causing financial problems for Ouya and uh, forcing the company to wind down the business, which was really, really sad. But yes. the good news is its software assets were sold to Razer, who announced the discontinue of the council in July 2015. So, wow, Razer got involved in this. I yeah. Know that. I think we should contact Razer maybe, uh, you know, and ask them to make a new version of it or like a kind of like a reinvention of the Ouya. And they can make it like a, call it a new generation, I guess. You could call it the Ouya Tuya. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, wow. <laughs> and Michael, you're on a roll. So I feel like I'm on hardware addicts all of a sudden with all the <laughs> cool. When you celebrate wins in the games, you know how like some games have these wins that are like, for example, like PUBG has a, a celebratory thing at the end of it, right? Uh, right? What in this, when you win something in an Ouya, do you <laughs> say booya? Stop. Mike. Okay. Just stop. Sorry. 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 You're in timeout. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting carried away. 
<laughs> just, just I, I'm, I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad you didn't say you're gonna sue you. Right, so Jill Razor yeah. purchases this company's assets and then re-releases releases the code out to the public. So what happens? Uh, you know, the Ouya marketplace act actually stopped working when Razor stopped support in June of 2019. Actually, it was is fairly recently. Okay. So what's but but's really awesome. The Internet Archive devs stepped up and made an updated Marketplace API so that you can access all the archived games cool. through the Internet Archive. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Rock and on. it's not a very hard fix e either, which was was really nice. Yeah. Speaking of which, you know, there there's so many cool things what you that you can do with the Ouya today. Yeah, you you can update the software now, which is really nice. That helps. Yeah. Is <laughs> and over at at the XDA developers forums websites, there are lots of newer Android ROMs and mods made for the Ouya, and you can access all the games from the Google Play Store, which is really oh, great. Cool. That is very cool. And I'm, I'm glad it's release... not like completely. You know, all the stuff is completely gone. Uh, that is that is really. It's awesome. amazing when yeah. they create an open platform like this where they encourage you to hack it and don't make it some ridiculous process yeah that these products that somebody obviously poured a lot of their love and intelligence into creating is still alive today because they didn't try to lock it down and make it exactly ridiculous to get into yeah it's and so cool the really spe one of the really special things that's happened is recently the linux kernel 5.11 on february 14th of this year officially supports the Ouya. So it's going to be even Amazing. easier now for people to make distros for the, the Ouya. That's awesome. And definitely easier to install. Um, I've been using, you know, Ubuntu and Debian on it from a flash drive, but it, it was tricky to get installed. But for us Linux people, it, it, it's not that difficult. Right. <laughs> but, but it's going to be nice when someone comes out with an official distro, <laughs> you know, made for it. That's it'll it'll just you know you could boot it from a live usb <laughs> yeah and when you finally got it to run were you like oh yeah yeah oh yeah man michael you infected me oh gosh i okay okay so i knew you would be down with it um. yeah <laughs> and another really cool feature of it is um it came stock with many game emulators were installed by default so you could play nintendo 64 games or playstation cool. and other retro console games so they the the software was really really robust it just wasn't really refined right <laughs> and the other cool thing about it um because of its you know hackability it wasn't in just in software that ouya wanted to make it hackable all the systems can be used as development kits, allowing any Ouya owner to also be a developer without the need for licensing fees. And that was a first in the industry as well, especially at that time, 2012. <laughs> that was What's really amazing cool. with this device is I would still rather own that device being as old as it is than a Google Stadia. Like, I'd yeah. rather invest my money oh, yeah. there. Yeah, yeah definitely. And, you know, my history with it is I had sideloaded lots of Android APK apps on my Ouya, including Plex and Netflix. I played a lot of my favorite games on it, like Race the Sun, Fez, The Cave, Broken Age, Hyperlight Drifter, 
and Towerfall, which is a fun multiplayer game, which launched with the Ouya as an exclusive game. So there were quite a few games that were launched exclusively on the Ouya, and most of those now you can play on Steam under Linux. <laughs> so nice. that makes me happy. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I really like Race the Sun. You mentioned that. I was like, oh, yeah, yes, Race the Sun is awesome. One of my fa- it was one of the first games on uh, Steam Linux, <laughs> so that was really cool, and I still love playing it. And I, I also used to use it to watch Twitch, YouTube, and Linux podcasts. So it's a little pr- pretty powerful processor in there to, yes. be able to pull all that off. So speaking of it, of which this has a very special processor in it, the NVIDIA Tegra three. Oh, that explains yeah, 1. it. Yeah, one point seven gigahertz. Okay, quad so they're using like arm. the Shield processor inside. Exactly. Exactly. Got it. It had you know out of the box this this one has one gig of uh, DDR3 RAM, eight gigs of internal flash memory. They made one later that had 16. And it's got an HDMI port um, and an NVIDIA GeForce ultra-low-powered GPU. Wow, all packed into that. Does that thing get super hot at all? Uh, No, it does have a fan, and the fan fan is a little noisy. (laughs) And there have been mods. People put uh, Noctua fans in them. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. I love it. So you have so you have a fan that's larger than the actual console. I might get yeah. an Ouya here because I see them on eBay for about 150 bucks and water cool the thing just because. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, here here's actually the the cool thing is yesterday I was checking and I found some used ones you could buy for fifty dollars. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh you know the. It, uh, just like a Raspberry Pi, you'll have something you can play with and hack. With a pretty powerful processor in it. <laughs> it's, that's amazing because you said 2012 this came out? Yes. Yeah. And I mean, uh, wow. Steam this for... was ahead of its time in a lot <laughs> yeah. of ways. Yeah. Me. Very yeah. much so. So, you know, Steam for Linux was just starting to ramp up. So, uh, and this yeah. was, you know, a lot of these games, a lot of the games on here again, actually, I'd say 99% of them you, know, you could play on Linux. <laughs> and it's because cool. they, you know, developed them. Some of them were developed for this unit. Yeah, right. so it was really this is this is really a special little device. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. I had no idea. I honestly mm-hmm. had no clue how cool of a device this was. I had heard so many negative things yeah. when it first released that I really was like, okay, I'm just not going to buy it. Even yeah. I remember it going on sale on Targets where they were just trying to clear them out, and I still didn't pick one up. Now I regret that. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's because it had like a, a lot of people saying it was like very underpowered and whatnot. But it, it wasn't trying to compete with like an Xbox or anything. Correct. Right. Yeah. yeah. It was a micro council. Right. <laughs> so. yeah. Well, Jill, this was a particularly interesting museum find for me because this is a device that would taunt me every time I would pass it in the store. <laughs> I never pulled the trigger, which is rare for me to buy one. And now I realize what I missed out on. And I'm going to probably have to go pick one up anyway. Oh, yeah. That's pretty cool. So, so thank you it. for sharing that awesome find with us. You, you might even have to get a few, yeah. <laughs> yeah Michael, few. go to timeout. <laughs> <laughs> Think about what you're doing. So this week I was doing some reading and I was reading the Linux Mint monthly news blog. And I came across something I personally had not heard of before or seen or played with. And it was talking about Mint partnering with a company called Shells.com which essentially makes a virtual desktop available from anywhere where you have an internet connection 
uh, for its users on a monthly subscription basis and has a multitude of Linux distributions to choose from and also some options to even test and upload your own distros of choices they don't have. Linux Mint, for instance, is currently in beta for Shell.com, but they have Debian, Ubuntu, Manjaro, along with several other choices. And I found this particularly interesting because at, at work, we use something called Citrix Zen Desktop, which allows users to basically have a much more powerful than your standard laptop access from their own bring-your-own-device type setup. So they have their own computer, but they log into the Citrix Zen Desktop and have a virtual work computer, which has all the software they need, their email, all the applications in this virtual space. And there have been situations in which employees have been able to use their phone or tablet to get uh, an email out while they're out at the grocery store after hours or be able to work on something while they're on a plane because of this, this kind of virtual desktop environment. So it's a very powerful, has very powerful capabilities to have something like that. You obviously, the local devices, memory, battery life, CPU are not as heavily um, taxed as they would if you're running all of this stuff natively. So you can use a much more lower powered device, Chromebooks, those type of level of powered devices, even maybe the Ouya to log in, definitely the Ouya, yeah. to log into a much more powerful virtual desktop machine. So I was pretty blown away by this. I reached out to shells.com. I'm like, hey, this thing's pretty cool. I'd like the host to check it out. They were super kind and sent us some keys to play with this for the next month or so and check out what it's all about. I played with it this week, but I'm really curious to see what you all think about this. So Jill, let me start with you. Had you heard about shells.com and what did you think about it after playing with it? What's funny is I heard about the same way you 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 did, Ryan, uh, on the Linux Mint <laughs> blogs. <laughs> so I was curious about it too. Yeah. And it's I was really impressed. It is really really awesome and it runs really fast. It really is fast, like surprisingly fast. Even to spin up a brand new machine was seconds. And yeah. I was like, it's no way it's ready already. No, it was ready. It, yeah, yeah, it was, it was ready. And it's just so nice to have a, have an option of a desktop based cloud VM, a desktop one, not necessarily a networking one or one mm -hmm. for Kubernetes or, you know, Docker, but <laughs> <laughs> a desktop one. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd been playing with the Zubuntu 20.04.2 LTS shells, um, but that one is beta on, on their website. But it worked great. And I used it on my Firefox web browser on uh, one of my computers with Ubuntu 20.04.2. I was just, again, I was amazed by the speed of it. And it also had really cool features, like the, it has a virtual send clipboard button in yep. the drop-down menu from the top for cutting and pasting from your local OS into your Shell's OS. Very, very convenient. That is nice. Especially when you want to do code. Too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, what was also cool is when you select and copy text from the terminal or elsewhere in Shell's, it copies it to the clipboard on your local machine. That is very I nice. wasn't... I wasn't. I was surprised. I <laughs> I didn't realize it would do that. So because we're used to classic VMs where you got to you know sometimes make a note, you know use a virtual noting system <laughs> right. to transfer back and forth. I also and, noticed the uh, uh, one of the cool things that I saw was the the virtual keyboard part of that drop down thing. Yeah. That was very nice. 
Yeah. And it has a has also a drop down button uh, to mute your sound, which is really nice. And it has a mic input setting, which yeah. that brings up a lot of possibilities for sure doing remote, you know, maybe remote podcasting or, mm. you know, some kind of WebRTC. That's interesting. So, yeah. What's interesting is I got the basic yearly, which is what the 30 days was for, which is the basic yearly. And that means it was one virtual CPU, 40 gigabyte SSD and two gigs of RAM. Mm-hmm. And I was able to actually record a video and render it in Caden Live with that one virtual CPU, 40 gigabytes of SSD. Obviously, that worked, Wait. but two gigabytes of RAM. <laughs> are, you impressive. Saying, are you saying that you render, you had Caden Live on the Shell's VM? And Correct. Then, okay. And rendered it right there in the Shell's VM. Very And with, with one virtual CPU. So it's quite powerful virtual CPU. Awesome. I don't know what kind it is that specifically they're they're using that they're splitting up into these vCPUs, but it was it was pretty impressive because right, generally they have a more powerful option that's meant for that. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a pro which is four virtual CPUs and eight gigs of RAM and that would be more what you would want to pick if you were going to do that regularly. But I thought it was impressive that their basic could at least handle that um, rendering out. Yeah, that's very that's cool. That's really Really amazing. I used the the GIMP in it and did some animations in the GIMP just to play around. And yeah, again, I was impressed. It it worked as well as a, as a local virtual machine. What's neat about this is, let's say somebody also has, they, they don't have the financial capability to buy a really expensive machine right now. So if you go buy a $50 used laptop on eBay, you're not, there's going to be a lot of things that'll be really hard for you to get working. But you get this in that uh, $4.95 a month plan here and you have access to a more powerful machine right from a browser, it kind of opens up some more capabilities there potentially as well. They have data centers in Chicago, Dallas, Los Angeles, Amsterdam, and Tokyo. The pro yearly is ends up being $36.95 a month if you want the four virtual CPUs and eight gigs of RAM. And the plus is $19.95 with two virtual cores, 80 gigabytes of RAM or 80 gigabytes of storage, sorry, and four gigabytes of RAM. Overall, really good prices, and mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Now, I did have one issue, in, and it sounds like it was just me because Michael did not have this issue, where I did a Manjaro KDE, and my keyboard would not work, my actual physical mm-hmm. keyboard, and typing into the browser. And I tried two different browsers, but when I switched to XFCE, I had no issues at all. All of my keyboard, everything was translating across. But Michael, you used Manjaro KDE and did not have that issue at all. So yeah. I tried That's it. I tried point. it. I tried KDE and Manjaro, uh, and also Kubuntu, and I tried some other ones. Uh, one of the things I liked about Shell is that if you wanted, if you you know tested out an operating system, you could just go into the settings and do like this. There's a reinstall button, and at the bottom of that, it says you want to change your operating system. Like, yes, I do. I want to try them all. So uh, I did that a, mul- a couple of times, and it, and it doesn't take very long to switch out the entire system. So that's another really cool aspect of it. Uh, but when I tested it with the with the keyboard and everything, I didn't see any obvious issues. And in fact, I did a test for uh, Kubuntu specifically, where I wrote, I did some like uh, typing in Kate and see if it could keep up with me and that sort of stuff because I expected this some kind of delay. And while there was a tiny delay, like I could, it was a delay to notice it enough. It did not interfere with my touch typing aspects because, you know, a lot of people who are touch typists will see as they're typing. And if it doesn't keep up with their hands, it, you know, throws them off a bit. Right. And this one was like, I'd say 97% real time. 
Like you could yeah. tell it was slightly off, but it wasn't too bad. You you could totally do it just fine. Now, Casey in our chat brings up a good point uh, about the fact that any web-enabled device you can access your desktop with. So if you need your files on the go anywhere, you can access it from your phone. And I tested this with the iPhone. I was able to open a browser, get into shells, log into my desktop, go into my documents and look at a file that I had created there right from just my phone. Now, is it super convenient to see a whole desktop on a phone? No. But they did it as good as you possibly could. And if you're in an emergency to get a document to somebody because you forgot to email it, forgot to send Mm -hmm. it out, you could do it. That's the point. Now, on a tablet, it would be much better. Wait a second. Uh, We have to know, did you test this? And if you didn't, you need to go test this after the show. Can you edit the video in Caden Live from your phone through this VM? That, that's the real I'll question. Do I'll do it. Don't you challenge me, sir. Yeah. <laughs> thrown. yeah, but you can, any any web-enabled device. So if you have an Android tablet, uh, a iPad laying around, you can access your desktop from that, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and the other thing I thought was really cool is that, you know, there's other services out there that do s- similar what Shells to what Shells does, but the alternatives, like there's JS Linux that mm-hmm. runs... But it, that runs using an emulator written in JavaScript. It is free, but it's really slow. <laughs> so right. this is this is the first one I've seen that's performant. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was performant no matter what DE I threw at it. So it, yeah. it's, and also no matter what distro I picked to do it, uh, you know, with, with GNOME or with KDE Plasma, XFCE, it, it was all just, you know, it, it there was an obvious delay. Like you could tell that it is a remote yeah. machine, but it is not, it is so faster than you would have expected it to be like mm-hmm. that's what made yeah. that's what surprised me <laughs> i yep. was waiting for you know the mouse click and then you wait it like right two seconds yeah and then, exactly but it didn't it it it, it yeah. moved it, it felt like less than to, less than a second per less than a second yeah yeah because when i was drawing in the gimp it was keeping track <laughs> Well, we're going to have the folks from (laughs) shells.com on because they were telling me that they have a lot of exciting things happening that they want to talk to the audience about after we had a chance to play with it. I wanted to have us have a chance to test it first before um, just to kind of get our initial thoughts. But I was pretty excited about this whole product and concept and idea, Mm -hmm. not only from a business perspective, but I kind of just want to have a desktop that has some of the files I need to access on the go from anywhere right there. I mean, I could be at a ball game. Right where I'm watching my son play baseball or whatever with an iPad, messing around with my virtual desktop and seeing what's rendering out, especially if I had the Pro Edition for rendering a video and being able to post. I mean, there's just a lot of things you could do with this uh, there. So I I think it's awesome. And I love that it's Linux-based. Yeah. And one of the really exciting things about it is you can import your VMs uh, from your desktop. Uh, oh, that's shelf. cool. I didn't know and that. And that was really, when I found that in there, I'm like, ooh. Yeah, that is really that's interesting. Awesome. That's powerful. <laughs> yeah. It also, I think it said it has uh, this this um, this weird operating system. I, I can't remember if it's, maybe I'll pronounce this wrong. Windows? I don't yeah, know. But <laughs> yeah, but after the Bill Gates <laughs> and Melinda divorce, you only get half of Yeah, Windows. yeah, you only get half of the yeah, The other half was right. taken in the divorce <laughs> yeah, thing. So exactly. You only get half a screen. So you me. either get win or doze. Yeah, you get win or doze. <laughs> Yeah, like those it. poor billionaires. Our hearts go out to them. We hope they make it through this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tough time. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. It's gonna. It's rough. It's rough out yeah. there. Uh, really <laughs> and thanks but, to all the news organizations for covering such important news. But back to shells. Uh, <laughs> yeah, go check out shells. Yeah, if you're if you've never played with a virtual desktop before, definitely 
checkout shelves. I was oh, very impressed. Yeah, and absolutely check it out. And I think that there's going to be a lot of questions that people have on this. But we're, as Ryan said, we're going to have some people from Shells on the, the show in the future. And be sure to go to the uh, deal in for, the forum thread for this episode. I have a link in the show notes that where, where you can uh, provide your questions. If you have any questions that you would like us to ask to the Shells representative, we'll just put that in the thread and we will collect them all together and you know disseminate them or whatever. We'll the, make shells you know, go through the gauntlet of questionnaire, right? Yeah, we we'll we will we will uh, we will uh, <laughs> spin up a bunch of VMs to for each question or whatever. I don't know. There we go. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I was going for a dad joke there. It didn't land. So hey, uh, uh, none of them have so far, which is which is not unusual. Okay, it this one didn't land, but I'll just go into my shell and. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, oh man, you're so good. You're so good. Oh. <laughs> this episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. You can get started right now by going to bitwarden.com/dln. Bitwarden is a fantastic software because it is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do that? Well, it provides a bunch of tools. For example, you want to store all your passwords. That's all you, you need to have a bunch of different passwords because you want a different password for every website, uh, actually every account on every website, and that's a lot to keep up with. So they provide you with a secure password vault that you can store it all in, and they automatically generate those passwords for you with the uh, the password generator tool. And they even provide the ability to automatically fill in those passwords on login forms, so you don't have to do that. And you can have access to all of this across multiple different types of devices, like your web browser extensions, mobile apps, a desktop application, and even on the command line if you want to do that. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your data on your own machine with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves yours, th- those devices so that you know you're the only person who has access to that data. So go to bitwarden.com slash dealin to get started with your free account. And But I think you want to check out the premium account because there's a lot of extra stuff in there, tons of great stuff, and it's ridiculously well priced like it's less than a dollar per month you can get it for just ten dollars per year get one gigabyte encrypted file storage two-step login with yubikey u2f duo vault health reports bitwarden authenticator for temporary one-time passwords priority customer service and so much more so make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com dln to get started with your bitwarden account to make sure that you have your on, your passwords and, on, and other sensitive data, just having peace of mind over that is just fantastic. And also, you'll be able to support a company that truly gets open source because I actually forgot to mention somehow, Bitwarden is 100% open source software. So <laughs> you're, you're su- getting a great service and also supporting a company that truly gets open source and letting them know that you appreciate them sponsoring Destination Linux. In our gaming section this week, we've invited a very special guest to the show. Our very own Matt from GameSphere is here. Yay, Matt, we love you. And if you're not subscribed to GameSphere yet, you should be. So make sure to go do that. Matt is currently doing curated picks and game discussion with all the hosts across the Destination Linux network, including me and Ryan and Michael. Which one was your favorite, Matt? (laughs) The one that didn't involve you, Ryan. 
Oh. <laughs> oh, got him. So, Michael, I got it. I got wasn't it. even. Oh, in, I haven't, we haven't done that one yet. I, I was going to say, we haven't done that one. Actually, Michael, you're up next, just so you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I appreciate you letting me know live on the stream. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, Matt, uh, welcome to the show, as always. Glad to be here. <laughs> so, we would like to know, tell us about this recent news with PlayStation and Discord. Uh, so the long short of it is anybody who's used Sony and their pr proprietary backend for communication is calling it annoying is an understatement. Uh, so how many times have you logged in to play a PlayStation game? You have to use either the built-in PlayStation web store or app, web app to use Discord, which is annoying, or you have to have it on your phone, on a PC, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. What this is, they're doing is they're looking to integrate Discord as a one solution stop, so you can be playing cross-platform games. So if you're playing on Xbox or PlayStation or PC, and you can use Discord as the sole way of communicating across all three of those platforms, as opposed to having these kind of mumble or Teamspeak or Ventrilo or you know 15 different ways to try to communicate across platforms and different ways of doing it so i think having one stop shop basically for, in that particular case is actually a very good thing because we always hear about how all the consoles and all the pcs and all that stuff are going oh we want to have cross-platform play and all this other stuff well this kind of proves that i'm not, I'm not right. gonna lie and, um, and from a linux standpoint this is a big deal because you now from a if you're on a pc and you're on linux in that pc you can use discord in linux Mm -hmm. And so now you could talk with your friends who maybe only have a PlayStation and Xbox and those things and cross-platform games like Fortnite um, is one that comes to mind, but there are several others that you can play across all these platforms. You all have one communication hub that you all can hang out in despite the fact you're on completely different platforms. That is, is pretty cool. Really cool. Yeah. yeah. With this, Sony's looking at to have this integrated around 2022. It's not going to happen Oh, relatively man. soon Rude. i would expect it mostly with the playstation 5 more than probably the ps4 just because of probably that's where most of sony's development stuff is going to be going forward to within the next few years anyway um unfortunately there's the life cycle of consoles as it is so with that though sony also put a minority invest minority investment into uh discord so i think that might have shaking up the whole talk about Microsoft buying Discord yes. stuff and uh, that, that might have thrown potentially a kink in that hole. This yeah. was a pretty smooth move from Sony from that aspect because yeah. you didn't have, they didn't have to buy Discord outright and spend that money to do so. They just kind of gave them some money and then got something in return for it, but keeps Discord safe from an acquisition, at least in the short term, uh, from a competitor. And we know Microsoft is buying up everything they can in the game world and you know doing pretty well from it actually uh taking over a lot of these studios and things i mean the gamers might not feel like they're doing well with it but financially they're doing yeah. great with their <laughs> acquisitions that they're making so yeah definitely and so uh, i'm intrigued to see where this goes um sony is hit or miss when it comes to what they promise what they deliver so i'm curious to see where this actually ends up um but i think if they stay true to what it's supposed to be and should be. This is a good thing for all gamers across every platform that Discord supports. Yeah. I would love to see Sony 
I mean, Microsoft is making their big play in that there are no exclusives, they say, because you can play their games on Windows or an Xbox. So that's yeah. their that's their definition of no exclusive. No exclusive <laughs> to their own platforms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not that you could play it on Sony or other things, but just that you could play it on every game that they released. You're going to be able to play on Windows or Xbox. This is a big this is a big thing for them. I think it's it's a big deal whether you're on a laptop or you're at home on a console. You're going to be able to play the same game, start from where you're at, etc. Mm-hmm. I feel like Sony's big play here is what's the next big gaming operating system out there? It's definitely not Mac. Mm-hmm. It's Max Linux. Game. Max game. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's Linux. So why not Sony, you know, take some of these amazing IPs that they have and make them all Linux compatible and use Steam and Linux as their gaming platform. I yeah. feel like being free BSD, isn't that what PlayStation's OS yeah. is based on already? This would not yeah. be a huge jump in technology mm-hmm. for them and would make a huge wave as far as competition goes. And then you get the desktop aspect, you get the console aspect. Uh, for both sides, right? Windows yeah. and Xbox versus Sony PlayStation and Linux. And it's, yeah, it seems like I, a, I know which side I'm picking. Yeah, it seems like a massive opportunity for Sony because they have the like Microsoft has the Windows and, and and the Xbox approach, and Sony is just competing against the Xbox. And they could, with an easy situation of of partnering with uh you know some distros maybe or just being on the linux ecosystem you automatically get a ton of people promoting your stuff for doing it and then you also can partner with valve to make some fantastic uh, interconnection and partnership stuff like it's it seems like such a good idea it's surprising that they haven't even considered it's such a good idea no corporation would ever actually do it because it's too good of an idea (laughs) it it makes too much sense (laughs) to happen I'm no, just happy that Microsoft uh, wasn't buying them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> They're uh, staying independent. <laughs> I, th- I think the thing with Sony is that you're seeing them start to test the waters when it comes to that they're putting their own games on different services. Um, they put out Horizon Zero Dawn on Steam not that long ago. They put out, yes. they're looking to put out Days Gone on PC, Steam specifically. Microsoft pros and cons obviously there there are certain games that they have actually made i'll give them credit where it's due things like the master chief collection where you can actually mm-hmm. disable eac or easy anti-cheat to play the single player and unranked multiplayer is awesome i will give them fine. i will yeah. give them credit there. <laughs> um things like recore which is was another uh, xbox one exclusive works flawlessly on proton um i've been playing that recently so Everyone, every company it does what it does, obviously, at the end of the day for the bottom line. Whether or not they engage the Linux community, I want to see more game studios specifically uh, do what the Hello Games did with No Man's Sky, where they're like, oh, well, we noticed people are using Proton. So they literally went in and fixed an issue that was 100% related to specifically to Proton. And they mm-hmm. went and patched it and fixed it. and fix yeah. the game for the, yeah. the that's pretty and, cool right and, and that to me is where i would like to see more so that stuff right there Good is point. really really cool to me so do you yeah. think that's that, why you're the host of game sphere <laughs> points yeah, like that sure. yes yeah. I, I did not know that they did that that is awesome to hear i am curious do you think that that is a viable option for game developers to for like the linux community to contact game developers and try to get them to focus on proton support not necessarily native do you think that that's a a practical way of doing it I think the transition, the the transition layers that you know Proton gets called quite frequently, uh, 
is helpful because the the subsystem is more generic to a windows environment that they would be used to potentially fixing i mean obviously it's different because it's making windows calls and translating to linux calls and all the other stuff but the the, the underlying structure is something they would probably be more familiar with to try to fix than say native linux and the tools would more than likely be able to help fix on proton than they would on a straight Linux system where you're using different tools and different things, you know, different compilers, different take your pick. Yeah. So I, I think Proton with all its strength and strengths and weaknesses, I think is a better target platform as, as a overall for the Linux ecosystem, just to potentially get stuff going. Um, you know, you can make the debate about native and proton and et cetera, et cetera. That, that comes down to what you prefer preference more than anything else. Sure. Yeah, Matt. So thank you so much for those insights. And for those that are unfamiliar with GameSphere, what's what's the show about? Oh, geez. The elevator <laughs> pitch. Um, so yes. the, the short version of the show is we're taking everyone across the network and we're looking to get to know them more on kind of a personal level. But in order to do that, you kind of need to know what like their their hobbies, their favorites, their, you know, what they like to do outside of Linux and all the, the fun things that we do outside of it. Riot actually has interest in pretty much everything you see in the background. So he's pretty easy to, <laughs> pretty easy to tell. <laughs> and mine is a very, you got like four options to look at. <laughs> right. I've already nailed yours down. So I'm not too concerned about you, all right, uh, but, it, but, it, but it's like, uh, Jill, yours <laughs> is very specific to you. It's taking everyone's kind of experiences and trying to tailor a, a game recommendation outside of what they might normally play by using what they normally like outside of gaming. So we recently had Eric on and that episode is actually, we're doing Terminator resistance because he's a first person sci-fi fan. Nice. So, but he, <laughs> but he's awesome. been, but he's been in a big, uh, a, like oblivion Skyrim kick. So I was like, ah. okay, we'll, <laughs> we'll take your love of sci-fi. And we'll we'll go from there, and that'll be released sometime this coming week. So you know, I think this is really important for this whole episode. We've we've had this kind of underlying theme of gaming, and a lot of people will say, "Well, I'm not a gamer," and I really think that it's because they haven't found the right type of game mm-hmm. for them. Because there are so many varieties of games. I mean, if you're a lover of chess, right, on like playing a, a a game of chess on a computer, you're a Fine. gamer, right? Yeah, there, 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 simulator. There, there's literally a game on Steam called Five V Chess, nice. where 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 you can go backwards and forwards. It take it take the like the 3D chess from like Star Trek, yeah. and like amplify <laughs> the complexity by like two. It's yeah, it's it's awesome. So the it you don't know you're a gamer until you actually try combining the stuff that you are interested in and trying to find a game that is wrapped around it. Mm-hmm. And that to me is something that I want more people to experience gaming because really at the end of the day, gaming as a medium is very, very fun. It's entertaining. It's helpful with like hand-eye coordination and, you know, your, your problem solving and everything around it. So there's a lot of benefits to it. So and, it, you know, Ryan, you talked about how, like, you know, you, your son enjoys Fortnite and yep. all that stuff. So, like, it, it, there's so many different avenues that gaming can approach from, not just strictly and, oh, me with fun, your kids, right? Not, not a strict me fun entertainment value, which 
don't don't get me wrong. I'm a I'm a single player, don't like people kind of <laughs> gamer. Uh, but on the same note, you know, there are times where uh, Ryan, Michael, and I have we've you know we've played Ballistic Overkill, we've played Warframe, you know, <laughs> and there's just a fun atmosphere, community that you can build around gaming, yeah. and you a lot of people just don't know it until they realize it you know how many people didn't think they were gamers until they picked up a, a guitar hero game or uh, yeah. and, 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 and that, it's a networking opportunity yeah. as well you meet people from all across the world all different professions if it's actually as good as you know people would tell you back in the day if you wanted to get a you know network built go out there on the golf course and golf with some people well now it's gaming there i i game with lawyers doctors all kinds of professions out there you could actually build your network through gamers unless you're a troll and nobody likes you but that if you're nice it, and you hang out you know and, and help people yeah you could you could build a network it's actually yeah, pretty interesting points about like the whole concept of the, you know, getting people who are not necessarily gamers interested in gaming and just checking it out because I wouldn't really classify myself as a gamer because I play like one game mostly. Uh, Rocket League. No, no, no. no. You play one game only. Uh, Let's be real. It's like 97 You're the literal definition of it. A gamer. Yeah. Yeah. Games are gamer. It's like 96, 97% one game. There's, a, there's some sprinkles here and there. I do dabble a little bit, but it's mostly yeah. it's mostly one game. But Rocket League, by the way. Yes, it's that game. Uh, but it's also a game that I never, when I first saw that game, I thought this was nonsense. Like, I would never play. This is so ridiculous. Car, soccer, whatever. I don't care about soccer. I don't, I don't care about cars. Then I played it and like, oh, well, I don't know why I like this, but I do. <laughs> and and and, it's just, and you combine that with like you just don't if people who are not necessarily gamers just don't give it a chance to try something new then they might never realize that they could be gamers on a particular genre a particular style there's so many different things plus the whole like you said the hand eye coordination that game is a hundred percent about hand eye coordination and like and there's also other factors of just like experiencing story games like I'm a huge fan of drama stories and stuff like that and like just complex. Uh, stories so like the witcher is such a cool game that i wouldn't have played otherwise and of course the networking kind of point thing. goes out the window with rocket league specifically because you'd only be networking with three-year-olds but every other game you mentioned <laughs> they're totally an opportunity to uh, network with says the dad who helps play fortnite yeah hey, exactly Fortnite is a exactly. national treasure sir. A national <laughs> treasure. no no thank you no thank you but, that game is owned by Epic Games, and so is the one that I'm talking yeah. about. Too, so that's we're, not a good we're, point. We're both networking with the year olds. Let's be honest. Yeah. Aww. Well, we need well, to all go up and play serious Sam games together. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got to be serious, people. Yeah. Yes. Well, Matt, thank you so much for joining us, and everybody, go check out GameSphere. It's an awesome podcast. It's such a unique take on gaming, and if you count yourself as one of those that's not a gamer, you could still get a lot of information from the host that you may not have known as he goes through the network and starts interviewing each person in their game likes. And Matt, you've done such an awesome job. You're also on DLN Extend. And thank you for all the work that you do on the network. I appreciate being on the network. It's always fun talking to you guys. Always mm -hmm. fun making fun of you know Michael specifically here. Especially Michael. Yeah. <laughs> we Why? agree with that. <laughs> Best segment ever. Best segment ending ever. So let's stick to the gaming thing of the show with a software spotlight, and we're going to talk about a game. So we're going to spotlight a game this week. I like it. And that is Hedge Wars. So Hedge Wars is actually an open source game that is probably in your software repository. 
Uh, Hedge Wars is a turn-based strategy, artillery, action, and comedy game. So it features the antics of pink hedgehogs with the with at, with attitude as they battle with the depths of Hades to the um not really depths of space but like the whatever the yeah, they frontier go to of space frontiers maybe? yeah 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 the, yeah the final frontier of space yeah 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 for go. sure uh anyone uh, familiar with the game Worms will find themselves in love with Hedge Wars it's very similar uh, so it's a, it's a great game to play with your friends and maybe you know in a big style you know multiplayer thing like the deal in game fest we could add it to the next one there's i think we have to did you did (laughs) you get to play this at all this week because i it is stupid fun (laughs) i've played played it before and the controls are tough yeah very tough i love the sound effects yes (laughs) (laughs) and this is a free game it's it's available in your repository likely in your distro and if it's not then slap your distro no i'm kidding don't do that uh request from your distro developer (laughs) nicely ask for them to add it in but it's a really fun well done game and what is the tank game we played on dealing game shell shock i think shell shock shock. it's it's that same concept where you're trying to blow people up with different Mm -hmm. things but it's you know pink hedgehogs with attitudes (laughs) pink hedgehogs with attitudes and it's morphin time or whatever yeah yeah I don't know why with attitude somehow reminds me of that that show from the nineties. Now, Jill, are you good at this game? Because that's going to determine whether we. Yeah, exactly. Good question. (laughs) Well, I did play Worms a lot, so and I have played Hedge Wars, um, not quite as much as Worms, but it's the same, you know, mechanics. I think um, what she's saying is that she will destroy us. Yeah, (laughs) I'm doing teams. Jill's on my team. Michael, no, wait, wait, what? Yeah, that's not. That's uh, we we gotta we gotta um like flip a coin. Who gets Jill? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a good plan. Right, cool. So our, our tip and trick of the week is also gaming related. If you want to increase the gaming experience in Linux, the tip is to use game mode in order to increase that performance on your PC. Game mode is a daemon lib combo for Linux that allows games to request a set of optimizations basically for your OS so that it's performing at its optimal capabilities. And it's very easy to install. You're going to install game mode and the lib32 game mode packages. So you, if you're in Fedora, you DNF search or game mode or DNF search lib32 game mode. And you'll see some of the packages there that you can run. Once that's done, I think the easiest way is just to open up Steam and right click on it, go into the properties. And it has those run options in there, mm-hmm. launch options that you can enter and just put game mode run and then the percent command percent so basically command is surrounded in percents we'll have it in the show notes so you can just grab it and slap it into that uh launch option and that's going to make sure that that game is running in game mode and i was testing this this week to see how big of a difference is it was substantial oh yeah it, in some cases like... 20 to 30 more frames per second like huge <laughs> i was just gonna say that ryan 20 30 i've even found 50 and 60 on some games <laughs> right so if you have a particular game that seems to not be it runs but it kind of runs not at the level of hardware that you have really give this game mode a try it's pretty awesome um, you can also launch this in games that are outside of steam using game mode run and then the dot slash in the name of the game to to kick it off there so very cool mm-hmm. if you're into gaming and want to get the most performance out of your linux machine yeah. that, that is very cool and also some distributions have it by default like it's just pre-installed so may, yeah. maybe if you have a distribution that has that you could check it out and if not uh definitely take i think also uh doesn't didn't feral interactive make this because i'm, I'm they yeah did? 
uh, so that's that's another thing that Feral has made. Like Feral is known for porting mm-hmm. games to Linux and making native versions of the games. So uh, thank you very much for that, and also thank you very much for making game mode. Yeah, and even if your distro has it installed, make sure to still put that command in for your Steam options to enable it, so that mm-hmm. it's running when you kick off sure. the game. Yeah, so just FYI. I just have a script that runs on every distribution I use. Did you open source that script for the rest of the show? <laughs> no. Okay, we'll talk about that after the show, Jill. Really? You, you kept it proprietary, Jill? That's unbelievable. Oh, I haven't put it on my Git yet. Okay, well, <laughs> no. we're waiting for it to get there. A big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love your faces. And if you want more DL, become a patron like all of these beautiful people with us here today in the 65,000 square foot virtual stadium we have purchased here. Each person gets five square feet of that that becomes a patron of that virtual stadium. And they get to join us in the skybox too. In the skybox. Yeah, Yeah, you get unedited versions of the show, VIP access to events. We have a patron after show (laughs) right after that you can hang out with the crew and ask a bunch of questions and probably want to talk to Jill and not me and Michael. And that's okay. We only cry about it after the show ends. But (laughs) That's why we have Jill in the show, so we can too. Yeah, exactly. So... (laughs) Become a patron. You can become on Patreon or sponsors. Yep. And in addition, every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we are live at dealinglive.com. So, and also, it's everybody is invited to join us at dealinglive.com each and every week for the recording of Destination Linux podcast. And we can't wait to see you in the chat on the live stream at dealinglive.com. And also go to dealinstore.com. You can pick up a bunch of swag. Like, for example, Jill has a new the new Linux 91 shirt on and showing off the camper yeah. mug. Uh, and also, <laughs> somehow, Ryan is repping the active sitting shirt, which is interesting. I hate stools, but I'll wear the shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and there's tons of great stuff that we have. T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, hats, and even aprons now. And check it. So, like, for example, if you want to represent uh, different shows uh, for the different things, we have, like, This Week in Linux or Twill, so you can twill while you grill. All, all <laughs> sorts of options you can do what by going to dealinstore.com. <laughs> You're welcome again. <laughs> so we have we have so many amazing shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, Represent. Yeah, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and Extend, Hardware Addicts, and get your game on with our latest show, GameSphere. And we That's just right. talked to the, our host, Matt, of GameSphere. So... Make sure to check those out. And so go to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these shows to keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. And DLN Extend will be doing a live show on May 19th. So make sure to to join everyone in chat for that. (laughs) That's going to be an awesome time. And everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. And since uh, Noah wasn't able to join us this week, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah. (laughs) I love his little chirp. (laughs) Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Uh, (laughs) That show was stupid fun. All right, patrons, turn on your mics, turn on your video. (laughs) Let's talk. Let's talk. (laughs) Fun. Oh my god! Michael had it was uh, you were on today, Michael. I had so many dad jokes, and I had no plan of doing that because we we neither one of us, Ryan nor I, knew what she was going to be showing us with yes, the uh, the Ouya. So all of those dad jokes are on are on the fly. <laughs> 
That is the skill. Good dad jokes. That doesn't make it more impressive. It really doesn't. (laughs) It would have been sad if you had actually planned them out and they were that bad, you know? Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's no such thing as a dad dad joke. How dare you? Oh. Angus in the in the YouTube chat is saying, are Michael's dad jokes copyrighted? I will (laughs) let you know that they are Creative Commons for sure. Feel free to use them as much as you want. But don't. Please don't. Actually, as much as you want. You know what? I'm convinced now that some things should be proprietary. (laughs) (laughs) I updated my uh, fedora to 34 this week. That was interesting. How did it go, Michael? Uh, for the most part, it went quite well. I also tried out the new Way- the Plasma Wayland experience in 34, and I can say that... All right, wait, stop. Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. For everybody else who wants to know the rest of the story, this is the time of the oh. show where we go into our patron-only oh. mode. You well be done. A patron here. Come on. <laughs> well Come done. Come on. Oh, you're on the edge savage. of your seat. You've got to be a patron. That's savage. Yeah, that so well savage. done. <laughs> 